We're going to hear from God's Word in the book of Matthew uh, and hear about that very story. So if you'd like to turn to page 76 in the booklets of Matthew that were on your seat as you entered, we're going to read from verse 57 of chapter 27 to the end of chapter 28. Let's read. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised the plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Thanks, Adriel. It's great to see you on this uh, Easter Sunday evening. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. We had an amazing weekend, uh, Friday, remembering uh, the death of our Lord Jesus and the forgiveness that he won. Uh, this morning down at the harbor, watching the sunrise, celebrating Easter, and here we are, Easter Sunday evening, uh, here to remember the tomb was empty. I love the story of the, the lady who went into a, a shop in the UK, and she said to the shop assistant, I want to buy a cross. I want the one with the little man on it. And the shop assistant was a Christian, and he said, Madam, the little man was called Jesus. And the little man was the son of God. And the little man was crucified. But the little man is not on the cross anymore because the tomb was empty and he's risen. We don't sell crosses with little men on it in this shop. Our crosses are all plain because he is risen. So if I say Christ is risen, you say... Hallelujah. What's that word, hallelujah, mean? Praise. Praise God. He has risen. Uh, the first people who witnessed the empty tomb left with joy in their hearts. They were praising God and adoring God because the tomb was empty. An English preacher spent his whole life preaching about the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, just before he died... He was no longer able to speak, and he wrote this on Easter Sunday, just before he died. It is terrible to wake up on an Easter morning and have no voice with which to shout, He is risen! Hallelujah! But it would be more terrible still to have a voice and not want to shout that most amazing truth. And yet, we don't, do we? We rarely shout, Alleluia, he's risen. And I'm not talking about people who don't normally come to church. I'm talking about us who are in church regularly. It's almost like the Easter story has become so mundane and so complacent. They, yes, he died, and yes, he was buried, and yes, he rose again. Whoopie-doo. Whoopie-doo? Dead men don't rise. What happened that first Easter morning was nothing short of miraculous. If it is true, it is the most life-transforming moment in history, and our hearts and our minds and our souls should be shouting, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! I want to ask you, does Easter change everything for you? Does the empty tomb change everything for you? These are words spoken by a very brave father who spoke at his young son's funeral. He said this, Easter has taken on a new importance this year. Until you stare death eye to eye, Easter is just a word. It's a nice day with bunny rabbits and eggs. But when someone precious to you dies, Easter becomes everything to you. It's an anchor in a fierce storm. It's a rock on which to stand. It's the hope that raises you above despair and keeps you going. 
Jesus defeated death. Jesus was raised from the dead, so my son will be raised, and I will be raised with him. Jesus lives, so my son will live, and I will live. And that means everything to me. Easter means everything to me. Does it mean everything to you? I know there are people here tonight, it does mean everything to you. Those who have lost loved ones, to know that you're going to see them face to face. Those who are suffering, real physical suffering, to know you're going to have a new body in heaven. Easter means everything to you, doesn't it? Let me give you three reasons why you should be shouting hallelujah. Hallelujah, Christ was raised. Hallelujah, the tomb was empty. Did you hear the words the angels spoke in Matthew 28, verse 6? He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. He invites them. Look around. The tomb is empty. You can search this whole place and you will not find the body of Jesus Christ anywhere. Why? Because Christ was raised. It's John Stott who says that Christianity is a resurrection religion. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. It's not about reincarnation or annihilation or nothingness. It is resurrection because Jesus was raised. It's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ was not raised, our faith is it's futile, it's worthless. If Christ was not raised, then Christianity is a hoax. If Christ is not alive, then go home now Get a glass of wine, put on the TV, eat some chocolate. But Christ was raised. And to put it bluntly, no reputable historian would ever deny that fact. Listen to Harvard law professor Dr. Simon Greenleaf, who is not claiming to be a believer. According to the laws of legal evidence used in the courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. See, our faith is built on facts, not feelings. It's on evidence, not emotions. Three times Jesus said he would suffer, he would die, and then on the third day he would rise again. Everyone heard that. Look at chapter 27, verse 63. Sir, they said, remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise. He promised he would rise. If Jesus did not keep that word, he is a liar. And you can't believe a word that he said. But he did rise. So believe everything he said. Now, Jesus was really dead. He was really buried. You had that account of Joseph of Arimathea, the, the courageous Jewish leader who asked for the body. He had this expensive, unused tomb. And when you think tomb, don't think hole in a ground grave. Think a rock a, with a massive hole in it, massive entrance into a rock with a massive stone rolled across that grave to stop the grave diggers, the robbers, and the animals. So he was buried, he was dead, he was buried, and people saw the tomb was empty. Who was it who saw the, the empty tomb first? Did you spot that in 28 verse 1? After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene 
You never heard any. And the other Mary, they went to look at the tomb. And Matthew, he goes to pains to remind you that, that these women, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, they were there when Jesus died. They saw him died. They were there when he was buried. They saw where he was buried. And then they saw the empty tomb. And I've said it before, if this was fiction, the people that you would choose to witness your resurrection, it would not be the women. Because women, the testimony of a woman bore no weight in those days. But they saw it, as did Thomas, as did Peter, as did James, as did John, as did Paul, as did over 500 people. They all saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Fact. Because the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. There was no body. It hadn't been stolen despite that plan they came up with. It was 1887. 1887, 22 years after the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. This big hoax went round that he wasn't actually dead. And so to silence the hoax, they actually dug up his grave. And they dug up his grave, and what did they find in the grave? Bones. That's what you find if you dig up the grave of a dead man. But there were no bones in the tomb. Go there today, there are no bones in the tomb because there was no body there. The body was gone because Jesus was raised. And these early disciples, the, the, these men and these women who had spent their entire lives following Jesus but became timid and fearful and doubting towards the end, suddenly they are transformed and they are preaching a risen Lord Jesus Christ. I love what Charles, Charles Colson says, you know, the guy who was in jail for Watergate. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved that to me. How? Because 12 men testified they'd seen Jesus raised from the dead, and they proclaimed that truth of the risen Lord Jesus for 40 years, never once denying it. And every one of those men was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put into prison. They would not have endured that if it wasn't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they could not keep alive for just three weeks. And you're telling me that 12 apostles could keep that lie for 40 years? Impossible. Christ was raised. And God tells us, verse 6, he's not here, he has risen. And those words changed history. Now, if you're here tonight and you are questioning the evidence, questioning the facts, that's okay. It's good to investigate, isn't it? But please don't spend the rest of your life with questions and with doubt, without actually spending time investigating the evidence. That would be foolish. Uh, the Alpha course on the 8th of May would be a great course just to come to, to look at the facts, to make an informed decision. I believe Christ was raised, and I'm shouting, Alleluia. Number two, Alleluia, Christ is risen. It's not just the fact that Christ was raised, past tense. It's the fact that Christ is risen. It's not like Lazarus who was raised, but then later on died again. Christ was raised never to die again. 
We're about to sing, praise the King. He is risen. Praise the King. He's alive. And this risen Lord Jesus, he was seen by so many people. Over 500 people saw him alive. And then repeated phrase in Matthew 28, verse 7, you will see him. Verse 10, there you will see him. Verse 17, they saw him. People saw Jesus actually alive. Oh, Paul, if if only I could see him, then I believe. Really? Really? We have more evidence than they have. John says, because you have seen me, you believe, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet do believe. We are blessed because we believe based on truckloads of evidence. We believe that he is alive today. There's a churchyard in England. I love going to churchyards. I love to look at gravestones. It's actually the graveyard where Winston Churchill is buried. And when you walk out of the graveyard, not when you walk in, but when you walk out of the graveyard, there's kind of an arch. And around the arch are these words, I know that my Redeemer liveth. And just seeing those words that Jesus is alive as you walk out of a graveyard, so comforting, so beautiful, so reassuring. What does it mean that Christ is risen? It means that you can know him. It means you can have a personal relationship with him. You cannot know a dead person. You can't talk to a dead person. They can't hear you. They are dead. They are gone. Can you imagine those leaders digging up Abraham Lincoln's grave and then talking to the bones saying, help me, help me, help me. You think they're stupid. If you try to talk to Muhammad and ask him for help, he can't help you. He's dead. If you talk to Buddha, he can't help you, he's dead. Gandhi can't help you, he's dead. But we believe that Jesus is alive. We believe he is living. We can know him, we can talk to him. He listens, he helps, he cares. There's a beautiful phrase in verse 10. He says, don't be afraid, go and tell my brothers. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus calls the disciples his brothers. And the living Lord Jesus Christ calls you his brother or his sister. He wants to know you. He wants you to talk to him. Prayer is the most beautiful, the most powerful expression that you believe that Christ is risen. Love this quote. There is power in the presence of the risen Savior to solve your differences to remove your perplexities, to calm your fears, to ease your burdens, to dry your tears, to meet your every need and satisfy the every craving of your heart. Because Jesus is alive, you are never alone. He never leaves you. That's the promise of verse 20. I am always with you to the very end of the age. And that's why we worship him. We don't worship a dead person. We worship someone who's alive. There are times where I wish that the the Gospels had those two words, the end. (laughs) It's the end of the story. But it's not, is it? It's not the end of the story because the risen Lord Jesus 
invites you and me to be part of the ongoing story. He invites us to do life with the risen Lord Jesus and to act as his hands and his feet and his, his lips and to, to tell others that he's alive. Just as he told the first disciples, go, verse 19, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and tell people about me. As you go, as you live this life, make sure that you're talking about the risen Lord Jesus and teaching people to obey everything I've commanded you. So, Alleluia, Christ was raised. Past tense. Alleluia, Christ is risen. Present tense. What's the third reason you're shouting Alleluia? We will rise. That is amazing, isn't it? We just sung it. I will rise. I will rise. As Christ was raised to life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when you face death, do you believe that when death knocks at your door and, and you leave this world, that you will live? That you'll have a new body and a new mind in a new creation. That death is not the end. Do you believe that, that, that Jesus conquered death, that Jesus smashed death, that Jesus defeated death? There's that great verse in, in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your sting? He's saying, take that, death. Stuff you, death. Death has got nothing on me because I believe that I will rise. The resurrection of Jesus changes the face of death for all his people, quote. Death is no longer a prison, but a passage into God's presence. And Easter says you can put truth in the grave, but it will not stay there. Oh, we'll still die. We'll still have coffins, and we'll still have funerals, and we'll still have graveyards and cemeteries. Physical death is a reality of this world. But for those who are in Christ, death is not the end. We will rise. And that is the best news in the world. Now, I know there are people here tonight who, for whom death is a reality. It, it's, it's, it's near. You're surrounded by it. And this Easter, I do pray that the Spirit would remind you that death is not the end. We've got a glorious future. And for those of us tonight who are grieving, grieving the loss of people that you love dearly and you're feeling their absence, especially on Easter, when someone who you love is taken out of this world, it is right to grieve. It is right to mourn their absence. But if they're in Christ, you grieve with hope, don't you? Because you just grieve so differently. 1 Thessalonians 4. Brothers, we don't want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe Jesus died and we believe he rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. That's the promise. It's a beautiful picture that the death is just like falling asleep. You know, there's, there's moments where you, your head hits the pillow and then you fall asleep, and then you wake up again, and it's been eight hours. You think, oh, where did they go? 
like death, you fall asleep. Then suddenly, you awake with Jesus with your new body. And it's such comfort, isn't it? Such comfort as you mourn and grieve those that you love. I think of Chris who was killed in a, in a road accident 12 years ago. My friend Simon who was murdered 15 years ago. I think of Rachel's first husband, Ben, who, who died just 12 years ago. I think of my family and my friends who have died in Christ. I think of John and Georgie and Anne and Sally and all these beautiful Christian people. And they're with Christ. They're with Jesus makes a, a, a Christian funeral so different, isn't it? I love this quote. Christ broke up every funeral service he ever attended because death could not exist where Christ was. And if we're in Christ, death cannot exist there. So we will rise. So it transforms your death. It transforms your grief. And it transforms this world that you live in. It is a messed up, crazy world, isn't it? What a week we've had. You know, bodies of, of, of children suffering from a chemical warfare. Nuclear threats and ISIS and domestic violence and child abuse. You think, what a crazy world we live in. I've read this quote before, but it's a good one, so bear with me. It's by a missionary who is teaching... Bible students in Africa. Let me read it. What will he say when he, re when he, sorry, what will he say when he shouts? And the question took me by surprise. I'd already found that West African Bible college students can ask some of the most penetrating questions about minute details of scripture. Reverend, 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says that Christ will descend from heaven with a loud command. I'd like to know what that command will be. I wanted to leave the question unanswered and to tell him we must, we must not go past scripture. But my mind wandered to an encounter I had earlier that day with a refugee from the Civil War. The man was a high school principal. He told me how he'd been apprehended by a two-man death squad. He was tortured for several hours. He narrowly escaped. He hid in the bush for two days. But the escape cost him dearly and two of his children lost their lives. And the stark cruelty unleashed on an unsuspecting, undeserving population has touched me deeply. I also saw flashbacks of the beggars I pass each morning on my way to work. And every day I see how poverty destroys dignity. Robs men of the best of what it means to be human. And sometimes substitutes the worst of what it means to be an am animal. I'm haunted by the vacant eyes of people who have lost all hope. Reverend, you haven't given me an answer. What will he say? Enough. He will shout enough. A look of surprise opened on the face of the student. What do you mean enough? Enough suffering, enough starvation, enough terror, enough death, enough indignity, enough lives trapped in hopelessness, enough sickness and disease, enough, enough, enough. 
Great answer, isn't it? <laughs> enough of innocent kids suffering. Enough of domestic violence. Enough of child abuse. Enough of poverty. Enough of debilitating disease and depression and disasters. Enough of dictators. Enough, enough, enough. Don't you long for that world? Don't you long for a world where there is no pain and no suffering and no sadness and no sin? And the empty tomb assures you and guarantees you that that world does exist and it will come and we will be there. We will rise. Enough of these frail, fragile, aching, aging bodies. Amen? Bring on the new bodies. Bring on the bodies without pain and without heart conditions and without legs that don't work and without uh, mental health issues. Bring on a world where people don't live with chronic pain every day. Remember 80-year-old John Quincy Adams? A friend asked, how is John Quincy Adams? He replied, John Quincy Adams himself is very well, thank you. But the house he lives in is sadly dilapidated. It's tottering on its foundations. The walls are badly shattered. The roof is worn. The building trembles with every wind. And I think that John Quincy Adams will have to move out of it before too long. And that is us, isn't it? These aching, frail bodies. We're just longing for new, perfect resurrection bodies with no cancer and no brain tumors and no depression and no disease and no migraines and no miscarriages and no muscular dystrophy. No more doctors, no more wheelchairs, no more funerals. Enough, enough, enough. Do you believe that you'll rise? Do you believe it? If you do, you've got to go praise the King. Praise God. Hallelujah. I don't know whether you've planned your own funeral. I have. Why? Because I want my funeral to be a massive, massive celebration. I want to be a celebration of me being with my Savior, me seeing Jesus face to face, me being able to touch him and worship him and adore him face to face by sight, not by faith. And a celebration of this body that is renewed and perfect. Why? Because the tomb was empty. No wonder that those first Christians used to say, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Should we try it? Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we want to praise you. We want to say, Hallelujah, that the tomb was empty. Father, we, we cannot comprehend that first Easter morning. Seeing that miracle and then seeing Jesus face to face. But we believe. We trust. We know that the tomb was empty. And that Christ was raised and Christ is risen and we will rise. 
Father, for those of us here tonight who need assurance, would you assure them? For those who need that comfort of the resurrection, would you comfort them? For those who are doubting, would you open their eyes and they might see the truth of the risen Lord Jesus? We ask that for Jesus' sake.